When faced with a problem, there are two choices. Offer solutions or make excuses. Joe Biden consistently chooses the latter. Why? Because he's the guy who created our problems. He hasn't the courage to face the truth. He's incapable of accepting responsibility. The buck never stops with Joe. It's always somebody else's fault. He's turned the blame game into an art form. Unfortunately for him, his artistry is as dreadful as his son Hunter's artwork. No one believes Joe anymore. He's a running joke, a caricature. Think Alfred E. Newman, only slightly better dressed. Biden has blathered so many lies about inflation. He's invented so many lame excuses for the abysmal economy that he drove into a ditch. His credibility has cratered to zero. He compounds the mess by supplying no viable solutions. He's a monument to incompetence, clumsy, feeble, hapless, confused, and spectacularly obtuse. When he opens his yap, gibberish spills out. He makes your average five-year-old look like a genius. That, ladies and gentlemen, in a nutshell, is our president. He's a humiliating spectacle. His recent appearance on Jimmy Kimmel's comedy show was supposed to resurrect his battered image. Instead, it reinforced what we already know and feared. Biden struggled to string two coherent sentences together. It finally became so incoherent, so unintelligible, that Kimmel tossed to a commercial break. Under normal circumstances, two gentlemen in white coats would have appeared on stage and carted him off to the home. Instead, Jill keeps taking him to the beach every weekend. When he's not licking on his ice cream cone, he's falling off his bike. All the while, America's economy falls off a cliff. Joe Biden is a metaphor for what ails us, and he hasn't a clue. Biden can't possibly run for another term. That's a pipe dream that his handlers keep peddling. He's already a lame duck president. At his current rate of decline, he'll be lucky to make it to the finish line as the worst one-termer in American history. He's so bad, it makes you yearn for the days of Jimmy Carter. At least the peanut farmer from Georgia had an intellect. Joe Biden? He's like the scarecrow prancing his way to Oz singing, If I Only Had a Brain. Attorney, Fox News legal analyst, and two-time New York Times bestselling author. This is The Brief with Greg Jarrett. Watching the news, seeing the horrors around our nation and beyond, the suffering in Ukraine, those left behind in Afghanistan, and here at home, parents trying to feed their kids and fill their gas tanks. Well, I have a warning for you. Inflation and tax hikes are Biden's only way out of our $28 trillion federal debt. 
If you want to protect your hard-earned money, your IRA, your 401k or savings, you can do that with physical gold and silver. Call now, 855-665-0767 to get your free gold IRA kit. That's right. Call 855-665-0767 and my friends at Gold Co. will give you up to $15,000 or more in free silver with a qualified account. Gold Co. has helped thousands of Americans protect their retirement against inflation and tax hikes and the uncertainty of this economy. Protect yourself and your family. Call 855-665-0767 now. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Brief. I'm Greg Jarrett. The most dangerous people are the liars who think they're telling the truth. Joe has told so many whoppers and repeated them so often, he probably believes his own malarkey. Putin is to blame for crippling inflation, and so are those greedy oil companies, Biden keeps insisting. No one believes him, because the truth is plain to see. There's no evidence of price gouging. The Federal Trade Commission investigated it. They concluded that market conditions caused prices to climb, not illegal practices. By the way, who created those terrible market conditions? Joe Biden. There's a truism in politics. It's always the guy with the dirty hands who's pointing his fingers elsewhere. That is Joe Biden. His hands are filthy. Americans know that inflation started skyrocketing long before Russia invaded Ukraine. It increased fourfold, reaching 7% before Russia's aggression. The inflation villain isn't Vladimir Putin, it's Joe Biden. Economists warned that Joe's profligate spending would overheat the economy and trigger an inflationary crisis. It's basic econ 101. When you flood the market with dollars, prices invariably go up. At the outset of Biden's presidency, Bill Clinton's Treasury Secretary, Larry Summers, sounded the alarm that Joe's nearly $2 trillion stimulus was unsound. It was reckless. It would spark an inflationary death spiral. Biden wouldn't listen. Then he added another $1.2 trillion infrastructure, making matters worse. Inflation has now soared to 8.6%. That is a 40-year high. Americans are struggling to pay their rent, their mortgage. They can scarcely put food on the table because they cannot afford the steep grocery costs. Can you imagine the exorbitant inflation rate if Biden's $5 trillion Build Back Better legislation had actually passed? Thankfully, Democrat Senators Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema blocked it. They are a profile in courage. Experts warn that Biden's destructive war on U.S. energy producers would create an oil and gas shortage that would drive up prices at the pumps. Again, fundamental economics. When you cut supply so that it cannot meet demand, prices rise. Biden was told that his insane policy would create a cascading effect 
on the U.S. economy that would be devastating. He would not listen. Gas prices are now at a record high, and they're still climbing. Americans can't afford to fill up their cars to get to work. AAA reported a 40% increase in people stranded on the side of the road because their tanks ran dry. The cost of everything has gone up because the transportation costs of goods across America requires now more expensive fuel. That gets passed along to consumers. All the while, Biden keeps flipping through his book of excuses. They're not working. Americans are smart. They know Joe Biden is to blame. It's reflected in his abysmal approval ratings that are now hovering as low as 33%. Biden's idiocy is driving the economy into an imminent recession, and everybody knows it. 60% of CEOs think a recession is looming. Some think it's already here. Stephen Ratner, an economic advisor under Barack Obama, was blunt when he said, quote, this is Biden's inflation and he needs to own it. One of Biden's favorite lines is he, quote, created the greatest job recovery in American history, end of quote. Seriously? Joe didn't create jobs. People returned to their jobs in the workforce when the pandemic eased. But naturally, Biden's trying to steal credit for something with which he had nothing to do. Biden is either delusional or witless, maybe both. While yucking it up with Jimmy Kimmel, Joe proclaimed, quote, We have the fastest growing economy in the world, the world, the world. He said it three times. Excuse my language, but that's complete bullshit. The U.S. economy shrank in the first quarter of this year. More than 50 other countries across the globe are experiencing faster growth because they don't have an inept fool at the helm. Joe Biden's dishonesty is epic, but his agenda is worse. He's already forgiven $25 billion in student loans and is planning billions more in other loan forgiveness. That will only fuel further inflation. Another salve he's considering is raising taxes to increase government spending. Wait, more of the same spending that caused our inflation to begin with? It's insane. It's socialist-style spending run amok, and you are the one who's paying the cost. Besides Joe Biden, who's to blame? Well, the answer is the American voters. They got what they wanted. When he was running for president, Biden promised he'd gin up the economy with inflation-inducing spending and shut down U.S. oil production. Remember the line he uttered? No ability for the oil industry to continue to drill, period, he declared. Judging by the polling data, the electorate is suffering from acute buyer's remorse. But with two and a half years remaining in Biden's term, Americans won't be able to junk their clunker of a president for a long time. In the interim, life will only get worse, not better. Joining me now to talk about it is the former House Speaker Newt Gingrich, 
Uh, by the way, you can get uh, his three free newsletters per week and three free podcasts per week at his official website, Gingrich360. But most of all, uh, you should order his new book coming out July 12th, Defeating Big Government Socialism, Saving America's Future. Again, it comes out July 12th, but you can order it on Amazon or you can even order it at a bookstore near you. Mr. Speaker, thanks so much uh, for joining the podcast. I appreciate it. I'm delighted to be with you. And there are so many things going on. It's kind of amazing. Yeah, it really is. And let's begin really with the title uh, of your book, uh, because it really is the reason why Americans are suffering. Are prices at the pump, in your judgment, a direct consequence of the left's socialist policies? Oh, I, I don't think there's any question about that. Um, we had I'd written a book back in the Obama years about gasoline at two fifty a gallon and got attacked by President Obama because it was impossible. But President Trump came along, did the right things, opened up a drilling, opened up pipelines, gasoline dropped below two fifty a gallon, uh, and uh, Biden came in and promptly undid everything that was smart and went back to left wing policies that are hopeless. And the price of gasoline has been rising ever since. Uh, and I think people, every time they go to fill up their car, every time they go to buy groceries, uh, every time a diesel truck has to get filled up to deliver groceries, all these things are all being uh, a real consequence to everyday Americans uh, in, their, in their pocketbook and is making life dramatically harder. You know, but we, we have seen this before. I mean, you know, I go back to the 1970s, Jimmy Carter, big government socialist policies. Uh, that was a very uh, painful, as you write in a recent column, a painful explosion of inflation. You would think that we have we would have learned our lesson from that, wouldn't you? Well, I don't think the left can learn any lessons. I think uh, Theodore White wrote 50 years ago in, in his Making of the President, 1972, that the liberal ideology had become a liberal theology. And I think we're dealing with a basically a secular religion, and uh, they can't deal with facts. They deal with emotions, and they deal with uh, their, their pre-held beliefs no matter how false they are. Well, the other part of the equation is there is this phalanx mentality in Washington, D.C., and it's wrapped around the sort of anti-energy uh, state of mind, uh, you know, that leftists in Washington hate American oil and gas producers, even though our nation relies on it. It drives the economy. Well, I think it goes back, though, to the politics of oil and gas and coal. Uh, the fact is, all three were conservative, produced in conservative areas. Liberals hate them uh, because they, they hate the policies they end up supporting. They hate the people they end up electing. Uh, and there's been a long uh, liberal opposition to American oil and gas and coal going back even before the climate change uh, passion erupted. Uh, and, it, and it was partly just ideological uh, that the coastal left 
whether it was California or New York, uh, despised and deeply disliked uh, the people who produced oil, gas, and, and uh, coal, and uh, and the people that, the, that were elected with the support of oil, gas, and coal. So this has been a long, long fight. And then they added to it this uh, semi-religious belief uh, that is not open to any discussion that uh, Americans have to uh, punish themselves. You know, the Chinese are building coal plants. The Indians are building coal plants. Uh, in fact, Germany has announced it's going to go back to building coal plants uh, because they can't afford uh, the economic pain being caused by radical left-wing policies. But you get some guy like, you know, multi-multi-millionaire uh, like John Kerry, uh, who uh, windsurfs and lives in a nice area and has plenty of money, and he can dictate to the rest of us that he would like the rest of us to live in poverty so that he can be virtuous. <laughs> and flies around on a private jet emitting all sorts of uh, uh, pollution into the air. Um, you know, look, I, I, I would love it if, if we could transition today to renewable energies uh, and get rid of fossil fuels. What, but you don't just flip a switch. That we don't have the infrastructure, we don't have the technology or the capacity yet. Isn't it true, Mr. Speaker? That's going to take decades to develop. You, you just can't flip a switch. And yet you hear Joe Biden saying, we have to do this to transition to renewable energies. Well, wonderful. But, you know, start spending the money for the infrastructure and the technology, wouldn't you say? Look, I mean, you have, you have a guy like Joe Biden who spent most of his life living off the taxpayer who uh, gets up in the morning and gets in a U.S. government limousine, uh, goes in a U.S. military helicopter, uh, flies around in Air Force One, uh, and then tells the rest of us we shouldn't worry about buying gasoline. How would he know? Um, yeah. When's the last time he actually went out and bought gasoline? And I'm, I'm not sure he has bought gasoline since he became a senator. Uh, he, he spent most of his career riding a very heavily subsidized Amtrak from Wilmington to Washington, uh, which was subsidized by the taxpayers to an extraordinary degree. Uh, and I just think that you have to recognize these people are so protected uh, by uh, the, the way the game is rigged, that uh, they have no idea what normal, everyday working Americans go through. I, I uh, read an interview with a woman the other day in Washington, Pennsylvania, a small town in western Pennsylvania, who said that um, she did not have enough money to buy enough gasoline to go to enough stores to find infant formula. So she was getting hit twice, once trying to find infant formula and once trying to find gasoline. And that that, that had what the Biden administration had become for her, constant shortages and constant rising costs. You know, in addition to waging war against American energy producers, which is, you know, it's Econ 101, uh, you, you know, create a security. A scarcity of supply and, you know, the prices on demand will go up. But the other part of it was profligate spending. Uh, I mean, you had the nearly $2 trillion stimulus package at the outset of, of Biden's presidency. Add in another $1.2 trillion on infrastructure, uh, other, you know, spending. How, how much of that has created uh, inflation in an economy that is really suffering. 
Well, again, uh, if you look at uh, – it's ironic. If you look at Reagan and Trump, uh, they knew how to bring inflation under control. They knew how to create economic growth. They knew how to bring down the price of gasoline. If you look at Carter and Biden, they don't have a clue. Uh, everything they did was wrong. And uh, the degree to which Biden is recreating the Carter years except worse is amazing. Somebody said the other day, this is the first time they'd seen an embargo against Americans by an American president. Uh, and I think that's a real, really, it's, I think that's an accurate way to think of it. They, they are causing pain at every level. They cause pain by releasing criminals back onto the street. They cause pain by letting the border be open. Uh, they cause pain by raising the price of everything. They cause pain with logistics, supply chain disasters. Uh, they cause pain in the schools by trying to brainwash your children into things that aren't true. Uh, all these things go on day after day after day. Um, I, let's talk about solutions. Um, one of the things you've talked about, uh, instead of spending uh, so much money, is to find ways to balance the budget. Um, to what extent would that bring down uh, inflation and spur greater economic growth? Well, let me start by pointing out that while I was Speaker of the House, we passed four consecutive balanced budgets, the only time in your lifetime. Uh, part of it was welfare reform, where people went to work, they got off of government programs, and they began paying taxes. Part of it was economic growth, because we had the largest capital gains tax cut in history. Uh, part of it was being very careful with spending. But the net effect was that for four straight years, the budget was balanced. And in fact, uh, as I left office, uh, Alan Greenspan, the chairman of the Federal Reserve, was saying publicly they were studying how they would manage the money supply if there was no debt, that we, we were on a to actually pay off the national debt. Well, you look at where we are now, $30 trillion in debt, um, and you look at the cost. If the Federal Reserve raises interest rates as much as it probably is going to in order to fight inflation, th that translates directly into the cost of paying interest on the federal debt. And if you have $30 trillion in debt, a high interest rate is just going to crush the, the federal budget. And I think people have not really looked at how big the problem is and and if you take the cost of food, which is going to get worse all summer, you take the cost of oil and gas, which will get worse all summer, you take the supply chain problems, which are not going to be fixed this year, uh, you add to that the, the rising cost of money in terms of interest, uh, and what that's going to do to you as a taxpayer just to, just to pay the interest on the federal debt, uh, these, these are breathtaking problems. You know, uh, let's talk a little bit about... Joe Biden, the the president and and the man, um, he doesn't give very many interviews. He appeared uh, selectively on a comedy show, Jimmy Kimmel. I don't know if you caught any of that, but it was frankly a little frightening. Uh, he rambled to the point that Kimmel finally uh, blessedly called for a, a commercial break, and that was sort of the end of it. How worried are you about his mental acuity? Well, I'm, I'm very worried about the totality of the administration. I think he is clearly cognitively challenged. I think the people he has appointed around him tend to be uh, – 
impossibly out of touch with reality. I think this is probably the most dangerous presidency uh, since Buchanan, who was the president who led to the Civil War. Uh, I think that uh, countries around the world look at this stuff. I'm I'm sure that Biden's weakness was a major factor in Putin's decision to invade Ukraine. And I'm sure that had Trump still been in office, that Putin would not have invaded Ukraine. Yeah, I I don't disagree with you. I think it's, uh, it's pretty plain. Um, there's two and a half years left of Joe Biden as president, but, um, you know, he may be rendered sort of functionally a lame duck, uh, if there is a red tsunami in just a few months in the November elections, how do you see it? Well, I don't think there will be a red tsunami. I think there will be a red, white, and blue tsunami. I think uh, we've (laughs) been doing research, and 87% of the American people want to restore the America that works. That's almost nine out of every 10 people. Now, in that setting, I think it is um, possible to create a new American majority because at 87%, uh, you've got people who are African-American, Asian-American, Latino, Native American. You have very young people. Um, It's an enormously broad coalition. And I think that uh, it is likely... Uh, unless things change dramatically, it is very likely that the Republicans will win very big majorities. And it's possible that you could end up with the biggest defeat for the Democrats since 1920. That's 102 years ago. So, hmm. uh, you know, things are, are I think, going to get steadily worse. The recent special election in South Texas, where a, a Mexican-born woman who came to the U.S. legally, who's married to a border patrolman, a certain grand irony here, she understands the importance of controlling the border, even though she is directly from Mexican descent, uh, and she's unequivocally an American, uh, proof again that legal immigration can be very good for this country, uh, but we cannot have illegal immigration. And in that setting, uh, in her district in the special election, one county swung 38 percentage points from Biden, where he was with Biden, to where it voted in the congressional race, 38 points. If anything like that happens, uh, the impact on the Democratic Party will last for two generations. You know, Joe Biden sort of has this reverse Midas touch, right? Uh, Everything he touches, you know, (laughs) goes from gold to stone, Uh, whether it's, you know, the withdrawal from Afghanistan, which is really one of the most humiliating and tragic episodes in American foreign policy in my lifetime. But, you know, the, the border chaos grows worse and worse. He's yet to go down there to even visit it. I mean, you would think that that would be a priority for the president of the United States. Uh, Crime runs rampant in blue states and blue cities. Uh, Joe Biden has no plan for solving that. And of course, you know, Americans are having difficulty uh, getting to work because they can't fill up their tanks. They can't put food on their table to feed their kids because of Biden's inflation. Um, You know, things are going to get a lot worse before they get better. Do you foresee a recession as 60 percent of American CEOs now say will happen? Oh, sure. I I would I would say it's uh, almost 100 percent likely that we will be in a recession. Um, Larry Summers, the former Democratic Secretary of the Treasury, uh, president of Harvard, a very famous economist, just said yesterday that he thinks uh, you've got to have at least 5% unemployment for five years to break uh, the inflation. 
And oh, wow. <clears throat> what you have here is is a classic fight. I was part of the group in the 1970s, led by Jack Kemp and by Art Laffer and Larry Kudlow and others, uh, which developed the concept of, of demand of, of a supply side approach to the economy uh, as a counterweight to what had grown up after the Great Depression, which was a demand side. Now, here's here's the difference: if you're trying to defeat inflation, which essentially is too much money chasing too few goods and services. If you do it on the demand side, what you try to do is crush the demand until prices have to fall because nobody's buying anything. Right. Uh, on the other hand, if you are trying to mop up goods and services um, on a supply side, what you try to do is dramatically increase the supplies so that there are a lot more things to buy. And a lot right. more ways to spend your money. Well, Reagan and Trump both followed a supply side model. Their, their attitude was get everybody to go to work, uh, be very productive, produce all sorts of goods and services, and you'll mop up the money supply and you won't have a problem. The left, because it believes in a Keynesian demand side model, they have to come in and punish people. And what you're watching right now, I think in, in five or six months, you will see a dramatic drop in the cost of goods at places like Walmart and Amazon and Target because they're going to have so much inventory they can't sell that they just have to drop the price to get rid of it. Right. Uh, in the process, you're going to have so many Americans unemployed. You're going to have such a significant drop in the price of housing that people are going to feel much poorer. So you get sort of a downward spiral of you're trying to drop the price faster than I lose my income. Uh, and uh, hopefully out of all that, you're going to stop inflation. Because that's their model, they virtually guarantee a recession. And the question is, how deep will it be and how long will it last? Americans are now paying, because of inflation, $460 more on average per month. So that's essentially a $460 tax on them per month. And the Biden administration is talking about a tax hike. Shouldn't it be a tax cut? Well, it, it depends on what you're trying to do. Remember, uh, the big government socialist model requires you to pay off your allies. So you got to pay off the teachers union. You got to pay off the construction union. You got to pay off the mayors and the city councils. So you need all the money. Uh, the, the, the whole point of their world is <clears throat> they can crush the general economy because those are Republicans as long as they get enough money to pay off the Democrats. Uh, and it's a downward spiral in the long run. Uh, as somebody once said, it might wreck the system, but they'll own the wreckage. Uh, and I think that it's uh, very, very destructive for the country. And I think as people come to understand it, they're going to get very angry about it. Uh, but that's literally what they're doing. The media, uh, which is defended and boosted uh, Joe Biden for the first half of, of his presidency, um, we're suddenly taking a turn. It's not a severe turn, but I think it was prompted by a story in the New York Times about 10 days ago in which they started talking about how, uh, I mean, to put it in blunt terms, that Joe, Joe Biden's finished. He really cannot be uh, the leader of the Democratic Party. And 
and I, I saw a sea change as I was watching television news shows, not just over the weekend, but cable news shows. And, and suddenly we're seeing people who defended Joe Biden for the longest time now criticizing him, underscoring his low polling data and his utter inability to communicate uh, his agenda that, you know, he thinks is great, but but are you seeing a change? Well, I, yeah, I think that one of the challenges for the news media is that if their audience gets too far in the other direction, they have to play catch up or they lose all credibility. Mm-hmm. And I think that as Biden has tried to explain to us that everything is working, um, I mean, my wife, Callista, the other day went out and filled up her car, and it was $104.50, and she was in a state of shock. Well, <laughs> when Biden comes on TV and says, oh, this is all great, she thinks he's crazy. I mean, what world is he living in? So at some point, when enough people feel that way, you begin to get the news media beginning to break against him. In addition, I think they're beginning to realize that if, if, if the election in 2024 is an exhausted clearly cognitively challenged Joe Biden uh, versus Donald Trump, there's a very real likelihood that Trump's going to win. Well, if you're the New York Times and the Washington Post, you can't imagine a greater nightmare than a reelected Donald Trump. And so I think there's a beginning of a whole movement that says, we got to dump Biden for somebody. And I noticed the other day that Hillary, in her usual uh, totally charmless way, uh, has begun to suggest that there is a candidate who could replace (laughs) Biden. (laughs) Who would that be? Yeah, exactly. And so I always tell people every morning she brushes the hair of a person who she believes should be president. Uh, (laughs) And it ain't Bill. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, she's staring straight in the mirror, isn't she? Um, beyond Hillary Clinton, though, I mean, I, you know, they don't have a bench to go to. Well, I mean, have, I think they, they have the governor of California. Yeah, they have Gavin the about Newsom. to be elected uh, governor of New York. <clears throat> they have the governor of Illinois. Um, they have the governor of Colorado, who's actually, by their standards, a moderate. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't, you know, the governor of, of, of New Jersey, uh, who I think is a billionaire. I mean, I, w- I would, plus somebody can come out of the woodwork. I mean, just, I could imagine a movie star doing on the Democratic side what Donald Trump did in 16. Remember, at this stage in 2014, no one, literally no one, would have said Donald Trump will be nominated and elected. Right. Uh, so you can't tell today, but uh, vacuums get filled. And uh, sure. I think if uh, uh, if for any reason Trump, I mean, if for any reason Biden clearly becomes um, no longer available as a candidate, uh, people are not going to step aside and, and, and allow Kamala to become the candidate because if anything, she'd be worse than Biden. And so I think uh, you'll see, you know, five or six or eight people run. Governor of Michigan, for example. Yeah. And on the Republican side, uh, Donald Trump uh, keeps hinting pretty strongly that he's he's going to run again. I don't want to put you in a bad spot, but how do you see that unfolding? Well, I'm not. Look, that's, uh, you know, <laughs> I'm supposed to be in that spot. Uh, <laughs> Good, uh, accept uh, it. You know, it's, it's totally reasonable to talk about. Uh, my guess is that if he's healthy, he'll run, and if he runs, he'll be nominated. Uh, he has two other challenges: can he win a general election, and can he win it decisively enough to really govern uh, and not just be embattled for four years? Um, mm-hmm. uh, he probably is the 
overwhelming favorite to be the nominee, but it's it's not automatic. I mean, you know, in all honesty, uh, Governor DeSantis is very, very impressive. Uh, and I think uh, would be very formidable if he decides to run. Uh, represents the third largest state in the country. I think he has $113 million in his campaign fund. Uh, right. He has done almost everything conservatives want. Uh, so, you know, I can imagine uh, four or five candidates. Um, Nikki Haley clearly wants to run. Uh, Vice President Pence wants to run. I think Secretary Mike Pompeo, Pompeo might run. You know, yeah. uh, and, and so you, and particularly if the world gets more dangerous, Secretary Pompeo brings some very impressive credentials. So you could end up with, just as we did in 2016, we ended up, I think, with uh, 16 candidates. Right. Uh, and Trump, you know, and Trump beat all of them. Right. It a, well, I mean, it was an amazing performance. Yeah, it really was. But but now, um, can one make an argument that Ron DeSantis is more electable in a general election than Donald Trump because he doesn't carry the baggage, especially uh, January 6th? Well, first of all, I'm not sure how much baggage January 6th will be by the time it's all done. Um, the I think when people understand that Trump offered 10,000 soldiers to protect the Capitol and Pelosi turned them down and the federal government warned the Capitol Police days in advance that there was a problem. Right. Uh, I think it becomes a little harder to, to say it's all, all Trump's problem. And I think for the average, if you say that, I, I liked very much uh, something that Tim Scott, the senator from South Carolina, <laughs> tweeted the other day. He said, um, for $2 a gallon, I'll take some tweets. Uh, <laughs> so That's pretty very, good. You know, I'd be very curious. If you, if you take Trump's economy, Trump's lack of inflation, Trump's price of gasoline, Trump's control of the southern border, et cetera, um, you know, he can make a pretty convincing case. I like DeSantis a lot. I think he's doing an amazing job in Florida. And there are a bunch right. of other people who could run. Uh, you know, you, you have somebody um, like uh, the, I think uh, several U.S. senators may decide Tom to. Tom Cotton. Well, Cotton is one certainly who's, who's clearly very um, interested. But, uh, you know, Lindsey Graham ran in 16, and uh, Lindsey's still on television a heck of a lot. And I wouldn't be shocked <laughs> if uh, Lindsey would never run against Trump because they're very close personally. But I wouldn't be you – know, Nikki Haley, I think, definitely will be – her hat would be in the ring if, if right. there is a ring. Now, what you don't know, and if you watch Trump's – parade of endorsements. He's at some astonishing number. I can't remember the exact number now, but it's like 98. It's close to 90%, I think. Yeah. I think 98 of the people he's endorsed have won the primaries and five have lost. Right. Uh, now, that's pretty astonishing. Yeah, it's a pretty good track record. Um, I want to wrap this up by talking uh, just a bit about your book about to come out July 12th. It's called Defeating Big Government Socialism. Give us a quick preview of that sure. uh, before I <laughs> click on and order it. All right. Let me just say that I was very much shaped by having worked with Ronald Reagan starting in 1974 and then having had the opportunity to get to know Margaret Thatcher. And from that background, I realized that, that you can't just have a performance campaign that says that, uh, you know, we ought to beat these people because they can't perform. You have to have a policy campaign in which we make clear to the American people, this is not an accident. 
big government socialism does not work. And so this book is almost a campaign book. It's, it's designed as sort of a handbook for voters. If you want to win the argument at, at your, uh, you know, uh, your local coffee shop or uh, wherever you happen to chat with your friends, uh, I want you to have all the correct arguments so you can prove to them that we need to go back to free market capitalism and we need to get away from big government socialism. We need to go back to classic American values. We need to get away from the woke left. And I think that uh, that this new book, Big Government Socialism, is a really timely book for this campaign this year. And I think that it will help us to convince a lot of people that we do not want to become a country dominated by big government socialism. Well, I'm going to buy the book because I, I, I need to win the argument at the dinner table with my two daughters. And so uh, th- I, this will properly arm just, me just, just, with persuasive, how, how compelling arguments. How old are your two daughters? 26 and 23. Well, just, just make them go out and fill up the car. <laughs> and say, yeah, I've got to stop paying for that, don't that's I? Right, just say to them, look, if you think this guy's doing so good, you pay for the gas. <laughs> <laughs> Newt Gingrich, as always, thank you so much for being with us. You can go to his website, uh, Gingrich360. He's got three uh, podcasts a week that are free, free newsletters as well. And his new book coming out, you must order it July 12th, is the publishing date, but you can order it now. It's called Defeating Big Government Socialism, Saving America's Future. Newt Gingrich, as always, thanks so much. Thank you. And that's The Brief. Thanks for joining us.